National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. I'm Blair French. I am Director of Curatorial and Digital at the Museum of Contemporary Art Australia and I'm also one of the co-curators of the National 2017 New Australian Art, which is a project that's been developed by the MCA with the Art Gallery of New South Wales and Carriage Works, it's currently on exhibition. The overall idea probably came out of um, a couple of strands of conversation that we were first having at the MCA with the Art Gallery and then very quickly with Carriage Works around, first of all, just how we could work together, what the benefits of us as organisations working together would be. Uh, there are points in our histories where we've come together to do particular projects and ways in which we have worked together um, around the Biennale of Sydney, for example, that we felt could be um, built upon and expanded in interesting ways. And the second strand of conversation is, therefore, what, what are our shared interests? What are our shared territories? What are the things that we perhaps all share an interest in and work towards, but in different ways. And, and the obvious answer to that was contemporary Australian art. Also in our minds at that time was this kind of sense, and I think the curatorial teams across all the organisations had this, that we were lacking something in Sydney in particular, and perhaps even in the, in the national landscape. We were lacking a really substantive, serious look at current Australian art. Um, there are instances, there are around the country, there are some very key um, institutions doing great work and, and one of the ones we we're very aware of is the Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art at the Art Gallery of South Australia and now other partner venues. But we're also very conscious of, that together we could produce something um, perhaps more substantial in scale but critically also for the, for the range of audiences that we have here in Sydney, who um, many of whom or most of whom would not actually travel to Adelaide for example to see such an exhibition. There's also something, I guess, lurking in, the, in our collective histories, which is Australian Perspective, which was a survey exhibition of new Australian art put together by the Art Gallery of New South Wales from the early 1980s, always in the alternate year to the Biennale of Sydney. So there was a kind of interesting rhythm in the, in the citywide landscape around you know, the Biennale one year, the Australian Perspective the next. And in 1997, the Art Gallery opened up perspective to other organisations to work with them. It became almost a mini festival model. Uh, and out of that um, event, which I can't remember how many organisations were involved, it was probably seven or eight, um, there was a sort of themed model, art and nature. In 1999 we came together and um, explored that further and we widened the collaboration to include you know, artist-run initiatives, um, Radio National, a whole range of partners and a really was a citywide festival called Australian Perspective Art and Politics. But the dispersing across all these spaces and all these voices of that event into something more akin to a festival was also was fantastic, but it was also the thing that made it unsustainable for any of us in that event and the exhibition ended in 1999. So in many ways there's been this sort of gap ever since then, which many of us as arts professionals have been very aware of and I think artists have been very aware of that, that uh, loss of that opportunity. 
uh, and certainly some audiences as well. And there are a couple of us as co-curators in the National who were involved in those last perspectives, so I guess we're bringing that, that awareness into the present. So the National evolved in response to all those things and our desire to work together and do something really substantial with artists on new work. Each organisation, the Art Gallery, Carriage Works and MCA, probably brings a different um, flavour or approach to the work um, of putting together such an exhibition. We've referred to it, I think, in some of our writings as um, the DNA, it's holding on to the DNA of each organisation. Uh, you know, the Art Gallery has a, obviously a, a remit, of, um, particularly an acquisition and collecting remit well beyond contemporary Australian art. So in working with new, new Australian work, it's inserting it into that wider um, paradigm. Uh, Carriage Works has a very strong performance element to its program and that comes through actually in the work for the National. The MCA, obviously we work with contemporary Australian artists um, as one of the kind of key elements of our remit, but one of the things we wanted to bring to this project is part of our commitment to artists, let's call them mid-career artists, artists who have a sort of significant um, career to date. We, for some time, put together uh, every two to three years a group exhibition of mid-career Australian artists as part of recognising the importance of that moment in practice and also the difficulty that often face artists sort of maybe a couple of decades into a career uh, where opportunities can sometimes seem to dry up as they've had um, you know, their one show at each of the contemporary art spaces or you know, a certain commercial career or not. And so we wanted to make sure that the Nationals sat in that place in their programme where we were really focused on and looked hard at um, the conditions of, of mid-careerism for, for artists in Australia. The curatorial group was is composed of representatives of each organisation. We've met really closely after, over the last 18 months. Um, we've undertaken our research independently of each other on the whole and then brought that shared re that research back to the table to share. Um, artist visits all over the, the country, studio visits, etc. We see this really as something like, it is one exhibition in three parts. We've each taken responsibility ultimately for what's on in our own spaces or within our own organisation to hold on to that kind of idea of, of keeping close to and intimate with the way in which the organisations work, not just with artists but with their audiences and their spaces. Uh, but in many cases we've talked a lot about where artists, a particular artist practice might sit within the exhibition, how, how it might um, sit across the exhibition, how it might operate differently where to be at the Art Gallery or Carriage Works. Or, uh, here at the MCA and one of the artists with us today, Alex Gronsky, actually sits across all three spaces and that's something that we'll talk about in a moment. We didn't set out to um, create an overarching theme to the exhibition or a thread. We, we all, from very early stages as curators, talked about the things that we were most interested in currently in Australian practice or identifying key kind of threads to us and there are remarkable um, synergies between our approaches and our ideas. Certainly I think there's a very, right across the exhibition, across all venues, there's a very strong thread of artists looking at pulling history into the present and using history to interrogate certain cultural, social and aesthetic um, situations or circumstances that face them today. Um, that perhaps plays out in a certain kind of rethinking of um, the legacies of recent post-colonialism in some situations. There's a strong element in certain aspects of work that look that's looking at um, the relationship of personal or individual and collective identities, perhaps less so here, here at MCA. Um, here at the MCA I was particularly interested in, in grasping hold of that idea of um, an artist at a particular moment in their career and looking at 
issues of accumulation, if you like, how, an art, how what an artist accumulates through their career in terms of a set of processes or ideas, subjects perhaps, actions, images, gestures, and how they potentially often return to those again and again as a kind of rhythm and return um, that I was interested in, uh, in looking at. So making that idea of um, an artist having practice over a period of time, something of a means to look through into that artist's present practice. Uh, the exhibition contains 48 artists um, across, the, across the three organisations and we are looking with the National to do this three times, 2017, 2019 and 2021. We've done that quite deliberately. We did not want to set up a recurring biennial model that felt like it could potentially um, become a you know, sort of program vessel to be filled within the organisations rather than a dynamic, um, sort of generative project. Um, so it also gives us the potential to look as we move forward to the to 19 and 21, although likely with different curatorial groups, to approach artists and start thinking about longer term commissioning processes to actually really um, bring the relationship of artists to, to institution um, together in a really close way over, over sustained periods of time. And we've done elements of that for the first show, but um, the longer lead time that, that 19 and 21 affords us and will enable that a little more thoroughly. Before I move on to asking some questions of um, Alex Gronsky and, and Zanny Begg, the other artists we have here today, I, I guess we need to address briefly the title, which we um, tossed around and agonised over at great length as a curatorial group, knowing that it uh, would, in a sense, be provocative, potentially. Um, that it's, in some readings it could signal a certain conservatism around ideas of nationhood or being able to identify um, and see art through the lens of nationality. Um, our intention and our desire was always that that would be problematised by the title, that ideas of nationhood, nationality, borders, boundaries, etc., of exactly those kind of um, ideas that um, are complex, difficult and problematic in the current age, and we wanted to really address that. We certainly wanted to throw open a kind of question about can you even think about a national art, an Australian art, um, rather than use the exhibition as an attempt to identify national tendencies. Uh, and I think it's been read in, in different ways and, the, and the, um, the divergence of readings around the title that have come from audiences and critics, I think, reflects that a little bit. Um, the, uh, we wanted to avoid the word biennial or biennale, partly for reasons said before, but also so that it, the, the event had a kind of distinctiveness in the landscape and certainly couldn't be confused with the Sydney Biennale, which in many ways we see the alternate year model as, as being a form of partnership more than anything else in the way in which we present work to the audiences. Um, the writers that we invited to write for the, for the catalogue have really deeply, thoroughly taken on ideas of nationhood through the title, and I think that's been one of the really um, important elements of, uh, of the overall project and program. So that's a kind of introduction to the national overall and very, very briefly to the MCA, the work at the MCA. So um, I'm going to throw over to the interesting people in the room, Alex Gronsky and Zanny Begg. And first of all, um, I guess we should start, Alex, if we, if we may, in just talking about for you, this idea, and you're the one of only two artists in the exhibition who's actually presenting something across three institutions, so in many ways has taken on or been asked to or pushed to or I'm not quite sure 
how that happened, actually. You have to think back to that. Um, really addressing this idea of collaboration between the institutions. And it's actually the relationship between the partners is, in a sense, one of the critical points of your work that you kind of prod at in a really interesting way. So could you maybe describe the work for us and yep. unpack it a little bit in that way? Sure, sure. Uh, so there are three works, as Blair mentioned. There is, so essentially what I've done, the concept behind the work, is to move architectural aspects of these, each of the institutions into the other institutions. So the work at, in the vestibule of the art gallery is a scale replica of six uh, columns and beamwork from Carriage Works, which is obviously an old industrial factory. Um, the work at the MCA is again a scaled version of the iconic uh, uh, ceiling grid from the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the work at Carriage Works is a three-quarter scale uh, replica of the original door of the MCA. Uh, so, and I think when we first spoke about it, like, the, the idea was, you know, we, you asked me ideas that I'd had in mind at the particular time, and I'd said, well, I had this idea, I was very interested in, like, looking at the specific uh, architectures of various um, uh, spaces around the, the place in Australia or otherwise, and actually replicating aspects of, um, you know, institutional, commercial architecture. And so I think the idea of being able to sort of then... Um, talk collectively about the swapping of dimensions of each was actually a really interesting um, opportunity to have um, on a number of levels. Um, but, I mean, I think it's one of those things, and I think it's also like a, a symptom in a way of like the kind of global age in which we live, is that essentially, despite the differences, and there are obviously incredible differences amongst, amongst different institutions around the world, but there is in a sense a kind of tied to-ness of, of all of them all of them in a way. There is this kind of codependence, which also comes down to, broadly speaking, to an economic dependence of some sort or another. So I think by using an architectural kind of metaphor in a way to speak about that was something I think was really interesting for me. Okay. Uh, I want to come back to a couple of things in your work, but I think we should introduce Zanny and Hello. her work. Zana, you were actually, I don't know if you know this, if I've said this, I think you were about the first or second artist I visited in the research process in the studio, and you started talking about an idea that I was immediately incredibly enthusiastic about, um, which was at that stage this idea of working with a particular text, which I'll let you describe, and with a particular person that you wanted to work with, and a particular, let's say, situation, social group, architectural, social, economic setting, um, that was new to you, which I think that was one of the things that really interested me. You were taking um, methodology, might be a slightly restricting word, but a process or a way of approaching a, a particular group of people to work with in collaboration, to try and draw out something of a story that is often plays between the documentary and the, and the dramatised, if you like, and, and uses or draws out and encourages the, the projection of the voice of your subjects. So... Um, it seemed to me that it was an incredible extension for your practice and therefore something I absolutely wanted in the show. But I'm going to let you know if you could <laughs> describe the work for a little sure, bit for us. Sure. So the starting point was, uh, as you said, an old text which was written in 1402 in Paris and it's considered the first Western feminist text that we know of and it's called The City of Ladies. Um, and it is quite remarkable. It's a feminist utopia that's uh, imagined within... Paris, so it is a city that is built, populated and governed by women. Um, and it was 
written by Christine Pizan, who was an Italian migrant to Paris. And she is also France's first professional female writer, um, who was kind of forced into that position because um, her husband and her father died of the Black Plague in quick succession, and she had no means to support her children, and kind of remarkably ended up becoming a writer, and her first book was this very um, controversial feminist text, which was challenging misogyny that she saw in medieval times. Um, now, in approaching this book, I didn't want to make historical piece about medieval France, as interesting though that would be, because there is a lot going on in medieval France, I discovered through the research for this project, but it was working with that across time, and as you said, to look at that moment in, in Paris, um, which was really defined by um, a bunch of things, so misogyny being one of them, um, and this was, we started this project before Trump won the election um, on a global stage, but you know that was in the air, and it was the sort of rise of that kind of alt right and the rise of the um, you know the virulent kind of misogyny against women. So we wanted to kind of look at that text 800 years later and around those issues, but also Paris was defined by a bunch of other things, and, and that being the terrorist attacks that had happened shortly before, and the and the this uh, state of emergency that it, that um, Paris has been in for months by the time I got there, where that closing off of civil liberties and, and social space, and the fear of the other, so the demonisation of the Islamic other, the demonisation of the migrant. Um, and so we decided to focus on the lens of misogyny, but I don't think you can look at that without looking at co colonisation, without looking at um, other forms of systematic oppression. Um, and so I collaborated with Lise McLeod, who is a childhood friend, who is a... Um, She's not a visual artist, but she's a, a film director and had a lot of experience in working with actors. And so for me, you're right, it was an extension of my practice. I got to kind of um, move from what had been more firmly situated within the documentary type practice and um, um, create a fiction, which was able to draw the threads together around some of those issues. Um, I guess one of the things I've been wanting to ask you for a while, Zanny, as I walk around the show and look at your work, um, is thinking about the contextualisation of that piece in a show called The National. So not so much necessarily what you're seeing in the space, but actually that, that branding. Yeah, well, because, because it's a totally it seems like your work, work. Your work, is, your work <laughs> problematises that, not just on being, internet, being international, but actually what you just talked about in terms of um, migrants, the demonisation of the other, boundaries, movement of people, all those things, of course, are the things that um, the idea of nationhood is is almost opposed to or certainly fearful of in the way it's used in political and media parlance. Yeah, I wasn't totally keen on the title when you first told it to me, <laughs> I have to say, but um, there is a friction in it that I yeah. like, and I think that's what I chose to do is to rub up against that, yeah. because it is the limit historically by which um, uh, certain forces have played out on the global scale, but obviously I feel like there's sort of an end game happening here, where we're at a point where, um, you know, the increasing violence, the increasing um, lack of consent, which is the nation is about the taking. You know, one nation is founded on the taking of someone else's land, or the taking of someone else's space without consent. And and I mentioned the election of Trump, but I feel that he's a president that represents lack of consent. You know, the, the grabbing the pussy comments and the whole idea that you can take and you don't need to have permission for. And I think what we're seeing is a global backlash against that, that you cannot do that, and that there is a certain end game playing out around that. Um, and certainly from a feminist point of view, the line that we end the film with is, um, if you think history is on your side, let me remind you that women didn't write these books. If they had, the stories would be different. And I think what 
in a way, um, our, the whole project that Elise and I did together is about, well, what would those stories be? And in a way, we don't even know. It's almost like asking the question is getting to the point of discovering what those stories would be. And if women had been not annihilated as they were in Europe through the witch trials and the whole demonisation of female power and female medicine and female technology and um, female sexuality and, you know, all that sort of misogynist violence that is kind of like the birth pangs of the modern European states or now groupings of states in the EU that we see, um, I think things would be really different. So in a way, even though I didn't like the title initially, I think it does encapsulate that tension and I think a lot of artists in different ways are in work is about that friction. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think, I think in, in terms of the way in which an artist may have responded to the concept of the show, that's the most overt and prevalent way throughout, throughout the exhibition, is that, is that kind of idea of the, the complexity and the problem of the title. Um, I'm just also watching the work constantly drawn to the extraordinary um, presence and the way, in, not just the intellect of the, of the women involved in the project, but the way in which they actually able to articulate that and the degree to which it's through things that seem to emerge from themselves and also those kind of... the helping hand or the, the kind of context of collectivity that the film itself helps to create. I mean, you've brought people together yeah. in a certain way and the people you've brought to working with those women and the text. So the figure of Joan of Arc, for example, I don't know whether I'm just going into the film at those particular moments where that sort of... the sequences that deal with that figure keep coming up whenever I'm in there. And um, the, the, the way in which the women in the film both identify with and problematise her. Yeah. Um, just firstly on the collectivity, I think that's an interesting point because uh, we opted for a non-linear structure, which I've talked about a bunch of times in different ways, but I think collectivity is another way of thinking about that because it could never be one woman's story. And we interviewed five, oh, 500 women applied to be in the, in the film and we interviewed 30 and we chose the seven that we did. If we had a larger budget, we would have loved to have chosen more because I think feminism is complex, it's feminisms and so you do need to have that sense of it being about um, individual stories netting into collective stories um, and so in a way we could never really disentangle one woman from all the others, they're always a group you know and I think that collectivity was really central to the project. John Dark is really interesting and you know Marie Le Pen nearly won the French election um, and that was a very nervous moment for all of us um, and as people may or may not know, in Australian audience, she actually launched her policy at the foot of the Jeanne d'Arc sculpture. So the far right has taken on Jeanne d'Arc as their symbol, as the Catholic Church has taken on uh, Jeanne d'Arc as, as, as their symbol. So she's taught in schools in France as being a saint, um, which is kind of uh, hypocritical and ironic because actually the Catholic Church has never apologised for what they actually did to Jeanne d'Arc, which they burned her alive for wearing men's clothes. I mean, that's just spade to spade. Um, but also, they also kill 40,000 other women, which they have never apologised for across Europe. Um, this is not just in France. Um, and so, in a way, uh, she's been kind of recuperated into a national project, which is recuperated into an idea of the nation, the French nation, and recuperated into the idea of this sort of saint, this um, pure virginal character. When actually, she was a rebel. She was a gender rebel, and she was a, um, a warrior. Um, and I think uh, that complexity allows a lot of discussion around Jeanne d'Arc. I mean, one of the things we pose in the film is could there be a black Jeanne d'Arc? Um, because there's seven women um, from a diversity of backgrounds. And um, that also raises all sorts of things. The immediate response of the other girls is, <laughs> but she's a symbol of the National Front, you know. So, you know, there's this whole kind of complexity about what these heroines and these fem 
female symbols that we kind of um, rise up in an essentially misogynist society that we wanted to kind of run people a little bit. Alex, slightly different line of questioning, but I, <laughs> when I was presenting you know, a selection of artists work to various groups in the, in the museum as mm -hmm. we we're working on the show. So of course, in many cases, almost all cases, showing work from previous projects. And I was showing a group of your works, and I was thinking a lot about how they, some of the things maybe the other things I'd chosen to show, were looking at the way in which you were dealing with the space of the gallery as a kind of um, highly controlling space. Mm -hmm. So the art institution or the gallery, um, you know, you created as a space of judgment, as a space of incarceration, um, as a space of um, sort of very structured labour. So a lot of it implicitly seemed to be about the figure of the artist, what, what the kind of mechanisms of, mm. of the art world and the art economy in particular, of which we're all part of, um, how it functioned to dictate artist behaviour almost. And I'm interested in this piece because it seems that in many ways the it's an insertion of institutions into institutions to sort of think about the histories of those places and also, as you just talked about there, the way in which they're, they're subject to sort of conformity of conditions and operations. Um, but it seems to me this piece also really operates on um, a, a kind of way in which institutions condition the experience of audiences. Perhaps more than artists. I mean, mm -hmm. because there, it's it's an uncanny experience for an art-going audience to enter a relationship with each of your pieces in the show. And it seems to be about trying to draw um, the way in which audiences are kind of controlled by, or shuffled through, or or um, given a kind of set of conventions how to deal with you know the spaces of the MCA, what they expect when they come here, the spaces of the art gallery, mm -hmm. what they expect to be in the vestibule as opposed to what you put in it, mm -hmm. etc. So, how much did you have that in mind? Uh, well, I think it's, I mean, it structures a lot of what I've done over the years as well as something that I think about a lot because I think the, the presumption always is that, you know, regardless of all the writing and all the critique that's happened around the notion of the, the white cube, et cetera, and beyond that as well, that the, the, the space of art is always inherently neutral or the space of art is also inherent, inherently free. So we have other institutions that confine us, but when we're within the space of art, we somehow have this you know, um, ex additional freedom, which in some ways is, is, is true to an extent, and we probably pay for that in some aspects as well, because it is a very precarious thing to be involved in, in its own way. Um, so I think challenging those sort of presumptions, I think, you know, a space is never a space, it's always something else, and it always speaks about everything else which is encoded into that space, whether it's about the collection, whether it's about the audience, whether it's about, you know, its specific history. I mean, one of the things that interests me about historically the connection between, say, carriage works and the art gallery, when you think about it, is that even though they, they present themselves in, you know, pol polar opposite ways, uh, one was a, a factory, a large factory, and actually, I mean, I think it was actually at the time the second largest, you know, railway manufacturing uh, site in, in the world and the largest one in the Southern Hemisphere and then the Art Gallery of New South Wales which has this kind of neo-classical dimension which was obviously all the, you know, de rigueur at the time. But but historically they're not actually, they were constructed almost contemporaneously. They're, they're not from vastly different um, historic periods and I think that connection is really interesting because the division between the space of labour and the space of culture was so firmly sort of established. And I think to 
I mean, these these condition the kind of the background of what you know modern art was really as well, and in many ways what contem- contemporary art is also, in the sense that if we think about aspects of labour and manufacturing, most of it has just gone to um, so-called peripheral nations where it's much cheaper to to, to pay for it. Um, but I think it's also interesting for me because, like, in terms of some people's uh, experiences of the works, or experiences that have been related to me from other people where people just totally do not see the work at all. Like, I mean, even the one at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, which physically is like six and a half by 15 metres, um, that that in some respects can also be invisible to some extent, is something which I think is fascinating. Mm, I found it that way. I found it, it sort of passes from the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a really interesting way. Yeah, and I think I think part of the the idea, apart from where it's cited of using this this idea of uh, the title threshold as well, is about that threshold. It's also about the threshold of visibility as well between when is something an artwork and when is something not an artwork. I mean, to me, that's still a very interesting question. I mean, the whole poster champion thing. I mean, I've been re- writing again recently about Marcel Bruthers as well, where he actually used the found object. Um, uh, uh, notion to actually speak about the museum as a kind of like cultural found objects as, as well. So I think those are sort of ideas still have a lot of uh, precedence. And in some ways I think they also, I mean, because I think there's always a presumption that, you know, what you see in an art gallery is, is art. You just go in there and then there it is. But in a sense, how do you know, you know, there's, there's some very specific conditions that make that possible. I mean, again, this has been spoken about a lot, but I think the way that actually functions visibly and physically is still something which a lot of people don't do not consider. So yeah, I wanted to draw those sorts of issues into context. I hadn't really thought about it until you were just describing it then, but I mean, across the three works, you kind of have the traditions of sculpture on the floor, and you have uh, yeah. the work on the wall. We talk about yeah. work. but the work on the ceiling or as a ceiling is is particularly unusual for an audience, for example. Yeah, counter as you have here at the at, at MCAM. I've no doubt that many people have walked through that work. Yeah, I, I, Un- unaware. I'm sure they. I'm sure they have. Yeah. I, and on the flip side, I've had people come up to me and go, "That was such an extraordinarily strange experience." Because for, for yeah, for this moment, mm. I thought I was at the art gallery. Mm. Particularly art gallery staff are coming to the show. Yeah, right. Completely, <laughs> completely freaks them out. Well, I think when you, I mean again, that's I think it's an interesting thing internally as well because I think, and this relates to any sort of space where we you know we all. You know, we all go places, we all have jobs, and we go to the same place every day, more or less, generally speaking. Um, how, uh, how this, in a sense, renders certain architectures somehow invisible as well. I mean, as they, they become, we incorporate them so much into our, our, our lives and into our kind of selves that they disappear. And I think for people who are having an experience where they are working in these environments, to see a rendition of that environment in another institution, in another space, I think is would be a very interesting thing. Um, I guess the other side of that is like for people who don't know the reference as well, I mean, it, it still should effectively function uncannily as well. I mean, the interesting thing about the work in the MCA is the scale as well, because I mean, obviously the, the vestibule, vestibule of the art gallery is actually quite high. I mean, it's actually, it was interesting when we were setting up the work in the art gallery, most of that space at the time, the time was empty, and I was actually just admiring the architecture, just thinking, isn't it interesting to see this space empty? You know, to see to see the architecture, to allow the architecture to become visible. Um, so to have the the ceiling lowered to the extent to the maximum could be any lower, um, <laughs> as we found out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that you know it is a, a very different experience to bring the ceiling so close to audiences as well. And I think also the fact that it works as a through space between those two larger spaces as well. I mean, it's almost like um, an airlock or something like that. You've got to pass through it in order to go from one experience to another. Interesting way of putting it. Um, could I ask both of you really, and I'm about, I guess the importance of, if there is one, as artists of being being in a show like this. And I, I think we internally, and as curators, are talking about the relationship to the Biennale, for example, and the relationship to the way in which Australian artists might be positioned within the Biennale. And often it's talked about, and I think, you know, to a degree, rightly so, it's this great international opportunity, sort of the international opportunity at home. But sometimes when I look at the Biennale, I also get the sense of Australian artists' work somehow appearing to need to, or there's some desire placed on it, and maybe that's just from me, that it acts as a host to the rest of the show. Somehow buttons down, fixes down certain coordinates, cultural coordinates for the show. And so there's it, there's a lot placed on it as work. There's an awful lot sometimes placed on it. You know, this, is, this is the work that will give you the entry to the place through which to read all the rest. Maybe I'm taking that too far. But so I wonder when what's different about that in relationship to being in a, in a national, to use that word, survey, um, where the kind of framing devices is, is in a sense pointing to your relationship with both, in a sense, professional and personal, but also that of your work to your peers and what value there is in that for you, apart from getting to see one and we had a great party. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think, I think it, is a, uh, it is a particular opportunity and experience. I mean... I mean, on the one hand, to, to, to actually have the opportunity to, to work at this scale across the three institutions as well, develop works in that way was very important to me, to be able to, to sort of see that, that type of project realised. Um, I think also, I, I, you know, I've written about this and I, you know, I think about a lot of, you know, we can talk about the cultural cringe and all oh, that's all over, et cetera, et cetera. We live in a global world and everyone's on the internet and everyone's connected at all times. And to some extent, that's obviously true and in some, you know, to, you know, for other people as well, that's obviously also an issue. The resurgence of nationalism, nationalism around the world is kind of like it's, it's a reaction against this kind of interconnectedness. Um, but the reality is still, and, and you know, talking to a curator the other week as well, and she was saying, oh, well, Australia's a long way away. And it's like, actually, it is a long way away still. In many ways, I think um, there is still this kind of geographic division between like what is considered the rest of the world or the rest of the art world as it is traditionally framed and Australia, even though there's obviously work occurring across any side and across the world, but I still think that's a reality. And I think as someone who has uh, worked and established kind of artist-run spaces for a number of years as well, I mean, I do have a very localised sense of the things I can do within my own sort of terrain with the people I'm connected to and I think in order to extend that in an institutional way, for me, was actually really interesting. So, I mean, it does condition the experience of the works in a sense as, as you know, being the artist of how that work comes about because you, you already know to some extent the people you're talking to because it's coming out of an existing practice. And, I mean, I think it's also one of those things as well, uh, you know, certain media travel much easier than others and I think if you're engaged in sort of building and creating space, very spatial works, there is a sightedness of them to them always and so actually um, 
you know, there's a rootedness in the institutions, in the spaces that you, you've already experienced, you know, many times before. So I think it's very conditioning and I think it's, it's very interesting for me. Um, it's hard to answer that, I find, a little bit. Um, I, I guess I've always had a very international um, way of working um, and I think particularly when I first started working um, the people who inspired me and the people, the opportunities I had and the people I found I could work with were quite often far away, so I had to pick up and, and travel and I probably spent quite a bit of, a bit of time travelling. Um, so for me, in a way, uh, it was really nice to come home and it was nice to have a project in, in a big institution in Australia and it was probably actually one of my first. <laughs> and to find that audience here, um, uh, you know, I found that really um, yeah, inspiring, actually, and to, to connect with my local because, you know, just however global you go, the local is always your heart, you know, it's always your heartland. So to be able to actually do something that I felt was a work I was proud of in my own local, for me, was personally very gratifying. I don't think it actually affected the work I made at all. I think the work is, it's made, it was made of parrots and it's about really, in, international issues. Um, if I had have made that work in Australia about feminism, I'm not sure it would have been as perhaps, you know, I've got some very positive feedback. I'm not sure people would have as instantly liked it as much here because it, it had that kind of, um, that distancing, even though the issues that the women were talking about, you could apply all of them to Australia, like all of them you know, around the beauty myth, around sexual violence, around domestic labour, around Islamophobia, um, even around terrorism. I mean, Australia is not in the same kind of, uh, you know, it's further back on the continuum than Paris is, but we still have the same um, curtailing of civil liberties, we still have the same drumming of the fear drum and, you know, all that sort of stuff, driving politics. Um, but I guess I, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't, that didn't affect how I made the work, it's just an observation after it being made. Obviously, a lot more people have seen the work than I know what they think about it, but the people who have um, taken the time to contact me about the, the work, it, it's been really, um, uh, I guess, gratifying that um, when Elise and I were making this work, we had this idea that, um, you know, because of its non-linear structure, people would go and they'd see it and they would get a different experience and perhaps they'd talk about it later and so, that, you know, they would have different emphasis within, within the work depending on what point they caught it at. Um, and that's certainly been fed back that people are talking about kind of the different um, films that they saw and then you hear little conversations going, oh, but I saw this one, I saw that one. And I think that's sort of what we wanted to kind of create this idea of the multiplicity of feminisms. Um, and so I think that's been interesting. One of the highlights for me was that the um, Marrickville School of Economics um, has chosen a feminist stream and they took their class into um, into the work and we had a discussion afterwards and there was quite a large number of women um, who had done reading of Sylvia Federici who's one of the people that we interview in the work um, and we had a really really engaged conversation about um, misogyny and the kind of the, the witch trials and its, its lineages in terms of contemporary um, situation for, for women um, and that's how I love I love the work to be used that way. That you know, it is uh, both a, an aesthetic experience. It's a um, it's a contemplative experience, but potentially also it can be a piece of public knowledge that people can come and access, um, and an archive of a certain moment of thinking about feminism that um, is 
obviously incomplete as any archive is, but that people could use it that way to kind of, um, as, as a discussion starter, for me was, was, was a really beautiful moment. Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations. Thank you.